Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Joshua chapter number 4. Thank you to each of you who sang and are part of our services today. If you're a guest, I'm so glad that you are here today. We're in the middle of a series that we started last week entitled Phase 2. And I believe that God has movement in each of your life. There's certain things that he wants you to accomplish. And sometimes we go through certain seasons or areas of life and we can almost say, oh, done, victory. But God has a new place or a a second phase that he wants us to move on to. Salvation is not the end of our walk with God. In fact, it's just the beginning of our walk with God. So if you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, you have that foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. That's wonderful. But there's a new phase that he wants us to move on to. And sometimes we have to go through different struggles or challenges. Sometimes we are so stuck on the things of the past that we can't move forward to where God wants us to live. And so today, I want to talk to you about a topic found in Joshua chapter 4, entitled Memorials, Testimonies, and Scars. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we see that the scripture says this, And Joshua said unto them, Pass over, passing over the Jordan, for those of you who weren't with us last week, the final step of removing the bondage of slavery from them and moving into the promised land was to cross the river Jordan. God had used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt and called them into a new place called the promised land, Canaan land. The final obstacle, the final hurdle, if you will, was to go through the Jordan River. The Jordan River was overflowing at this time. Probably about 100 feet wide was this rushing river walking through the middle of that Canaanite desert. And God tells them that they are to go through that river, and he would provide in a similar way that he did to Moses with the crossing of the Red Sea. He tells them to take the Ark of the Covenant, go down into the middle of that river, and that he would halt the river from, from uh, killing them. He would, he would cross the river as they cross the river. And so as they do that, the children of Israel do in obedience exactly what God wants them to do. But God wants them to leave a memorial about his work. The Bible says this in verse 5, And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Today, we're going to see that God desires for us to use our time, our talents, and our treasure, use our lives so that we can leave memorials, testimonies, and even deal with some of the scars of our life. Would you join me for prayer as we look at what God has for us? Father, I pray that you'd be with these, my friends, as we listen and we learn from your word. Help us to adopt these principles into our life for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse number one. The Bible says this, and it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every man a tribe, 
and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men, and when they had prepared the children of Israel out of every tribe, a man, and Joshua said, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan, and take every man of you a stone from upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? That ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So the river stops. God stops the river. It's almost like he puts his foot inside of it and says, you're not going any further. And the mounds of the river continue to pile up upon each other. As much of the people are crossing, uh, Joshua picks out 12 men, one from each one of the tribes, Naphtali, Zebulun, Asher, Dan, Gad, all of you guys pick out one person and you're going to come over and you're going to pick a rock out of the middle of the dry riverbed now. I don't know about you, but I can imagine this, because if it were dudes like they were dudes today, can you imagine the guy from Asher going over, and he picks up a rock, and picks it up, puts it on his shoulder, and he sees the guy from Zebulon? His is a little bit bigger, so he puts that one down, and he goes, gets a bigger one, too. Can you see that? So I don't know how they did it, but the Bible tells us that the stones were so large that the men were hoisting them upon their shoulders, probably big boulders. And the intent was to bring those boulders on the other side to the place where they were camping, and then there would be 12 other boulders that would just sit right there in the middle of the river. And God gives them a reason. He says, I want what happened here today to be remembered, not just tonight, not just tomorrow, but I want this story to be told for generations to come. And so the Bible tells us that when the children of Israel come through, the water stops, the men build up those, uh, bring up the boulders, and they start to erect this memorial. This is nothing new. We understand that memorials are oftentimes set in stone. A few years ago, I was driving to Southern California, and I looked off to the left-hand side of Interstate 15, and I saw something that caught my attention. I didn't think it was really there, but I saw these different colors all throughout the landscape as they... Uh, as I was driving down, how many of you have seen these seven magic mountains? The first time you saw them, did you wonder why they were there? After you stopped by and read what they were there for, did you still wonder why they were there? Why did we put these things out in the middle of the desert? So I drove back and I saw these seven pillars of different colored things all sitting up there. And it wasn't too long after that, we took our family for an excursion, drove out into the middle of the desert to see what these seven magic mountains were for. And we took pictures and posted them to the gram. Because that's what you do. You got to make sure that the pictures look good, right? So I don't know, but these were a memorial. They were a symbol of something. We understand that. In 1620, there were a group of people that sailed on an adventure from England, and they came across the Atlantic Ocean, and when they came to the New World, they established Plymouth Colony. And there at Plymouth Colony, they took this very rock, and they etched into Plymouth Rock the year 1620. We know this. We memorialize ourselves, or we tell stories through rocks. 
there was a group of people that said, we can do something better than this mountain. And they went and they, with all of their expertise in sculpting, they put a memorial to four great presidents in rock. We leave memorials. We tell stories by leaving things etched inside of stone because it tells a story. Every single one of those things tell a story. God has a story that he wants us to tell. The story that he wants us to tell is different with each and every one of us. Oh, you have a story, and I have a story. Mike has a story. John has a story. Bryce has a story. Every single one of us have stories that he wants us to tell. And in those stories, God wants us to share those with next generations. In verse number five and six, he says, pull out these stones. But the story of the stones wasn't who got the biggest stone. Oh, look, Judah, you got the biggest stone. You are so well. You are so good. Oh, Manasseh, good job. Can you see the poor guy from Asher? He's like, I got a small stone. He, maybe he wasn't as big as everybody else. But that wasn't the story that was to be told. The story was to be told unto the children. The Bible says in verse number seven, then shall ye answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. There was to be a time when the men and the families of Israel would walk by, and as they walked by, they'd come across this unusual rock formation. And when they saw this unusual rock formation, a little boy or a little girl would say, Dad, what are those rocks there for? And God said, I want this to be the time where you tell your children a story. Now, the story flies in the face of what we perceive as important today. In our culture today, we are so wrapped up with main character syndrome, aren't we? It's all about me. We even have words for pictures that we take of ourselves. What is that word called? It's a, this is part of a generation. We never had the word selfie 25, 30 years ago. There's no such word. What is a selfie? If you were to ask somebody while they were watching ALF, <laughs> what, is, what is a selfie? They would have had no idea what a selfie was. But we live in a time and age where selfies matter. We put filters on the pictures so that it will cover up any blemishes. We are working to produce our platform or demonstrate our brand, our brand, our platform, whatever our followers will like, the ring camera so that the lighting is just good enough so that we are able to absorb or project whatever story. And this is what's fascinating. Our story isn't about ourselves. I want you to think back to those pictures that we saw a few moments ago. Outside of 1620, in Plymouth Rock, could we, in this entire congregation, name three people that were on the Mayflower? Three. Oh, we got William Bradford. Maybe Squanto. Do you see, this is what I want to communicate to you. So much of what happens in life isn't about a person, it's about telling a story. Aren't you thankful that pilgrims settled in Plymouth Colony? Oh, I sure am. I love our country. I love America. But we don't even know the names of those people. Do you know the name of the person that sculpted out Mount Rushmore? It was his idea in order to put those four presidents. Do you know even their name? No, it's not important. The story is what is important. 
and I do not mean to be inappropriate, but if you walk through Arlington National Cemetery, when you see that scene of all of those headstones, all those names are important, but what's even more profound than the names is what? It's the story. It shows what was going on, that there was a cause, that there was a life, that there was a reason, and it wasn't about a person. It's about a story. This story that the Lord is trying to communicate is going to be erected and told through those four, uh, through those rocks being set together. It's an avoidance of main character syndrome. I'm so, so consumed with this thought over the last few months. My mind has ruminated on it. It comes from Psalm chapter 90, verse number 8 through 10. The Bible says, thou hast set our iniquities before thee. God knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me. Our secret sins in the light of thy countenance, for all our days are passed away in wrath. There's going to come an end of our day, even the things that we've done wrong. The days of our year, uh, excuse me, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Oh, check this out. Every single one of us are living a life that is a tale that's going to be told. I've done many funerals. Whenever I do a funeral, I will, uh, it's become commonplace place for people to do a, a memorial video of a person's life. And in that memorial video, I'll tell them, you want to gather about 60 or 70 pictures because you want the video to be about maybe six or seven minutes long. Because your entire life and I don't mean to be morbid, but my entire life, the entire story will be told in about six minutes. Someday there'll be a memorial video. Now, one time I was doing a, a funeral for somebody, and they must have really loved their family member. And I don't think I gave proper instructions. The memorial video was 45 minutes long. And I'm going to tell you, the person who was dead, Everybody loved them, but everybody else that was watching the 45-minute video, we all wished we were dead too after that long period of video. It was just like, oh, could this please be over already? Because after about, and by the way, that's true of just about any one of us. If we're sitting and watching something for 35, 45 minutes, it's like this is done. And entire life stories can be told in a manner of six or seven minutes. We tell our lives as a tale that is told. What is the story that your life is telling? What is being communicated through your life? Because it's all about this story. And the Bible says, check it out. The days of our years are three score and ten. The average person is going to live to be 70 years old. I made it to 70. You say, well, I'm past 70. Then you're really strong. Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, God does. Look what the Bible says. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. Well, I live, to be, I live to be 80. Well, good for you. You're really strong. Well, a person might live to be 90. A person might live to be over 100. It doesn't matter if you live to be 70, 80, 90, 100, 115. The Bible tells us this. At the end of it, their strength, labor, and sorrow, it will soon be cut off. Every single one of us are telling a story, but it doesn't matter. Well, is there a prize for the person who lives the longest? <laughs> do, do they get a little doll? Do they get a special certificate in some place? No, our strength and our sorrow, it's all cut off. So here's the question, what story are you telling with your life? 
What is the story that God has placed inside of you that this world needs to hear? There's three things that this, this shows us. Number one, as we tell our children, it shows us that the process matters. How we do things is as important as what we do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse number 2, you can write this down. The Bible tells us that it is required of a man, of a steward, that a man be found faithful. Do you know that God wants you to live in a way that would honor him? Day in and day out, God wants you to practice that which is good. Not just show up for special occasions, not just doing things when it's convenient. God desires for us to communicate that the process matters. When you saw the monument of those 12 stones, it was a demonstration of how God works. God wants us to be faithful in season and out of season, in days and in nights, on weekdays and weekdays, on an off days and on vacations. God desires for us to live faithfully before him. The process matters. How we do things. It doesn't matter if you have a fully funded 401k, if you ripped off a whole lot of people, Bernie Madoff. It doesn't matter that you uh, were able to do all of these great benevolent things with your charity if you were stealing from people over and over again. See, character matters. And how we do what we do matters. It's not just the end never justifies the means. I had a teacher that said it this way. It's never right to do wrong to do right. And yet in our modern day thinking where we become so pragmatic and we lose ourselves from the moorings of principle, we will allow ourselves to do things, to succumb to temptation, to uh, indulge ourselves in things that we have no business indulging ourselves in. And in that indulgence, we get away from the principles that God wants us to live by and we have abandoned then the process and the process matters. How you live matters to God. The day in, your Tuesday mornings are just as important to God as your Sunday mornings. Process matters to God. How you live at home should be the same as how you live at church, and how you live at church should be the same as how you conduct yourself in the workplace or in the academic institution. God desires for us to understand the process matters. Number two, the product matters. The product matters because... If we are not accomplishing anything with our life, then we need to change the process. It's not good if you say, well, I haven't lost anything. Oh, I, I haven't failed yet. Do you remember the story of the talents? Where God gave five talents and two talents and one talent? And the guy who took one talent took that talent and he buried it into the ground. And he came back after a season and he presented the one talent. And the Lord did not say to him, oh, well, at least you didn't fail. He says, depart from me, you that work iniquity, because God desires for us to be productive in our life. He desires for there to be fruit that abounds to our account on the way into Jerusalem. On the final week of Jesus' life, he passes by a fig tree. And the fig tree had so many leaves. And he reaches behind the leaves to grab a fig, but there were no figs on it. And the Lord cursed the fig tree. It withered up and it died. And they, why, why not? Because God's not interested in looking good. He wants to see results. Is your life doing anything for the glory of God? If not, understand the process matters. 
When the process is correct, it will start to yield a product. And number three, providence matters. Look at verse number eight. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. How? The process. As the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them into one place where they lodged and they laid them down there. There's the product, the process, the product. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, the place where the feet of the priests were, which bear the Ark of the Covenant today, and they are there to this day. Why? Because it's demonstrating the work of what God has done. Our job is to tell the children the process matters, the product matters, providence matters. Number two, God wants us to enjoy triumphant crossings. Look at verse number 10. For the priests which bear the ark took in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came over. When all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people, and the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 40,000 of them in verse 13. Verse 14 says this, And on that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. I want you to see, once they're tell the purpose of this whole chapter is so that you can tell children. Tell children what? Number two, about a triumphant crossing. What's that triumphant crossing do? Number one, it brings a celebration. Do you know that God is not averse to celebration? I think that God would enjoy birthday cake. I think God would enjoy birthday cake that is like with a funfetti in it and a, um, a rainbow chip icing. Why? Because that's my favorite and I try to be godly, okay? Now, some of you like chocolate and some of you like other things, and that's okay as well. The Lord has grace upon you, but I'm sure that his favorite is white cake with white icing and rainbow chip frosting. It's just my opinion. I can't prove that from the Bible. In verse number 14, the Bible tells us that the Lord magnified Joshua. What does he do to Joshua? He encourages him. He pushes it up. He makes it a celebration. Few, several years ago when I was a teenager, I had a friend, his name was Chris, and Chris's family did not celebrate birthdays. Why? Because celebration of birthdays was a prideful matter. They also, uh, in their family, they would not have Christmas because Christmas was somehow tied to paganism and an affront to the things of God. And I, and I, I want to be appreciative of other people's beliefs and you know what their conscience would say, but I do know this that God enjoys celebrations. In the Old Testament, there were seven celebrations, seven holidays, that the whole children of Israel, they would shut everything down. And when they shut everything down, they would celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Passover. They would have several different celebrations. Do you know that every week there was a celebration? It was called the Sabbath day. So that on the seventh day of every week, everything shut down. And what were you supposed to do? Rest. Have a good time. Go, go play cards or go, go for a walk or go for a hike or go, go rest. Enjoy your life. Why? Because the Sabbath was given to man for a day of celebration. God enjoys celebrations. The second thing that we see about this is that with this crossing, the story tells us celebrations are good and endorsed by God. But the second teaching is that windshields are better than rear view mirrors for life. In every single car, there is a windshield. 
And the purpose of a windshield is so that you can see where you are going. You're supposed to be able to look out that windshield. We even have things that go across them when it's raining. We got to use them for the first time in a long time, right? We, had, we, we have windshield wipers because a windshield is designed for looking forward. In every car, too, there's also a rear-view mirror. And in that rear-view mirror, it shows you where you have been. Sometimes it will show you what's behind you. In special circumstances, it can even show you what's on the side of you. But every one of our cars have a windshield and a rearview mirror. You know what this teaches us? This passage shows us that God desires for us to live life looking through windshields rather than rearview mirrors. In the book of Philippians, the Lord says, Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. God desires for you to have forward-looking momentum. Three things about that. Number one, some people can live life on the laurels of their success. Well, back in 2003, I did. Well, I can tell you when I was a senior in high school, I did that. And they look like Uncle Rico trying to throw a ball over a mountain celebrating all of their former past and their accomplishments that nobody cares about today. God says, forget those things. Number two, God tells us not only to forget our successes, he tells us to forget our sins. You know, Satan loves to throw your sin up in your life. He loves to tell you all the bad things that you did so that you can't. Do you remember? Look in the rearview mirror. You remember that past divorce? You remember that failed relationship? You remember that debt that you went through? You remember, you remember, you remember. And Satan loves to have you look in that rearview mirror and say, I can't. When God calls you to look through the windshield, look at where you're going. You're, you have taken that page and you have gone into a new chapter of life. Don't stay looking back at that. That story's already been told. That place has already been written. You don't have to live there anymore. That was act one of a great big story. Let's move to act two and see where the hero gets involved. Well, who's the hero? It's not you, main character. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when God started to intervene in my life, oh God, I, I know that Satan had some victories back there and I yielded to temptation, but God, I need you to work now and God, I'm not gonna allow Satan to bring up all of that sin of my past because I've confessed that sin and I understand you are faithful and you are just and you've forgiven me of my sin and I've got cleansing from all unrighteousness. When I come to that place, I'm no longer living in the rear view mirror. I'm looking in a windshield. The third thing, there's a lot of times that people will look at scars in their life. And those scars will inhibit them because they're looking in the rear view mirror. Here on my elbow. When I was about nine or ten years old, my brother and I were moving this, this, it was a long thing. It wasn't heavy, but it was a long thing. We were moving something for the church because child labor laws hadn't been invented then. And we were... We were a pastor's kid, so we just did stuff. And my dad asked me to move this thing, and my brother. And so we were moving this, and my brother was, was just kind of being nonsensical at the time, not giving a lot of attention. And he hit it into the side. And when he hit it in the side, this, this wooden structure broke, and a nail came out, and it caught my arm right there. And on my arm, there's about an inch and a half, two-inch uh, gouge where it bled and hurt. 
And I don't feel like you have enough sympathy for my pain even right now. Thank you. That's what I needed. I need a little bit of that. And so on my arm right here, there's about an inch and a half scar from where Josh was being a knucklehead. Okay? Every time I, I wouldn't say every time, but many times when I see that, I think about my brother. How many of you had a mom like me that said when you had a scar or you had a scab, she would say, don't, uh, don't pick at it. Don't pick at it. And I don't, maybe it's a boy thing, but, but when it kind of scabbed up like that, and I don't mean to be gross, but it was kind of fun to, <laughs> to pick at it. Now, I, maybe I was just weird, or maybe it was just being a boy, but I'd pick at it. And anytime my mom would see it, she would say, don't pick at it. It's never going to heal. You keep picking at it. Stop picking at it. Okay, mom. And you pick at it. Some of you have messed up bad in the past. And there's scars from sin. And Satan loves to draw your attention to it. And Satan loves to pick at it. And when he picks at it, guess what happens when you pick at it? It gets infected. And dirt gets in there. And it doesn't heal. What are we supposed to do with our scars? Leave him alone and let him heal. I can almost imagine Jesus saying from heaven when we start to bring up the things that we did as a kid or the things that happened to us or the dumb choices that we made, I can almost imagine Jesus crying out in the voice of my mother, don't pick at it. Stop picking at it. It's already been forgiven. Let it be cleansed and let it be healed. Because when it's healed... Oh, you might have a memory of that every once in a while, but it's a testament to the goodness and grace of God. Let God give healing. Don't look in the rearview mirror, well, I could never because, oh, I can't because, oh, this is. Stop picking at it. Allow the Lord to bring healing and bring a scar rather than an infection. That's how God wants you to deal with your past. And whatever it was. Well, you don't know. You're right, I don't, but God does. And I don't, you might say, but I did something really bad. You know what Jesus did? He did something really good. And his really good is bigger than your really bad. When he, when he died on a cross, was buried and rose again for your sins, that was really good. I did something really bad. I challenge you that your really bad was not, as be, was not better than his really good. And so if he gives forgiveness, allow him to heal it and allow it to go away and stop reminiscing in the picking at the scars. Live your life with a windshield rather than a rearview mirror. Well, I have loss. I missed a family member. I wish I was a better dad. I wish I had done this better. Okay, that might be true. Stop picking at it. Stop picking at it and let yourself find the healing that God will give he will heal, but you can't be picking at it if you want it to be healed. It's kind of gross, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it helps me, and I hope it helps you. Number three, there are special seasons and flowing rivers. Look at the verse number 15. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony, and they came up out of Jordan. 
Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Cup up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto dry ground, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all the banks as they did before. Now this is what I want you to see. That river that's as wide as this place was dry ground. It was dry ground. How long was it dry ground for? Hours? Maybe days? I don't know how long it was dry ground for, but it was a special season. Never again will that Jordan River be dried up like that. Until the, as far as I know, that Jordan River will remain a rushing, mighty, flowing river in perpetuity. It's the borderland of Israel. But there was a special season where there was dry ground. Now check it out. God gives you special seasons. Enjoy the special season that he gives you. Learn, learn to relish it. Celebrate it. Remember it. Take pause to live in the moment of that special season. Last night, um, one of our church members named Kim sent Brianna over pictures of our little girls when they were seven and four and two and just have their pigtails and their big gumball necklaces and their princess Minnie Mouse outfits. There's a temptation in my life. Can I just tell you? There's a temptation in my life to look at that and say, oh, those were the good old days. Oh, that was, really, that was a really special time. And I want you to know, that was a really special time. But today's a very special time too. Last night, my daughter sent me a picture, my 20-year-old daughter sent me a picture of a necklace that a boy gave her. What? Bring back the gumball necklaces. <laughs> but, but I gotta tell you, in this whole princess story, this is a whole new world. <laughs> this is what's crazy about this, okay? This is what's crazy. We get those pictures of it, and I didn't look back and say, oh, I wish she was seven. I'm so thankful she's 20. And this guy that gave her this necklace, I like him. Like this, I'm supposed to like hate him, right? This is what I've been told. Wait till the guys come around. I'm like, yeah, I hate this. I, but I kind of like you. He, he sent me a picture of them. They were out on a date the other night. They sent me a picture, and I'm like, oh, I like, they look good together. I like this. This is a fun season to be in. I'm in a special season. I don't know what the next season has. I don't know what the next 10, 5, 15, 20 years have. I don't know, but I want to enjoy this season. I, my, daughter's, my next daughter's going to go to college in August. Well, I've got to tell you, that's a little bit, oh, I want to enjoy this season. But I want to enjoy her being in college. It's a special season. Don't miss the season that you are in. I, I imagine there was some families like, come on, hurry, get those kids, get that camel, bring those goats, we've got to get across this river. And can you imagine that there, I don't know, but I think I would have been guilty of that. Got to get across, get across this river before the water falls down. You don't want to drown, do you, Methuselah? No, get over here. Without taking time to pause and be like, we are in the middle of the Jordan River. Let's just enjoy this for a second. Enjoy the special season. Why? Because life is about flowing rivers. Once they all get to the other side, the river returns to its place. And it will flow, and that story will continue. But there was a special season. Enjoy that season. Number three. 
Oh, maybe that's it. This is so good. In that special season, realize it's good to emphasize some things, but not everything should be emphasized. I saw this picture. There's a sign. There's a, a town back east that was really struggling with people running the stop sign. <laughs> so they made a second sign to go underneath the stop sign. It says, stop. <laughs> this is a stop sign. I, I think that's so funny because sometimes in special seasons, we want, to, we want to have everything be epic and everything be exciting and everything be awesome and everything be great. And what are we going to do tonight? What are we going to do this weekend? What are we going to do this? And we try to truncate everything in all caps. And if everything is in all caps, then nothing is important. Realize that much of life is Tuesday afternoons and Thursday evenings and Monday mornings with your coffee. Most of life is that way. And if you're in a special season, enjoy that special season. But not everything has to be all caps, because if everything is all caps, or if you are, <laughs> if you are trying to truncate everything, then nothing becomes important. I love this, and we're done. Three things. What does this story teach us? Well, if you look at verse number 21, the Bible says, And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then shall you let your children know. These are the words they were supposed to say. Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. Whoa. Like he made the whole thing dry? Yeah. For the Lord, now I want you to see this next word. For the Lord, what's the next word? Oh, this is good. The Lord, my God? Is that what it says? The Lord what? This is the story that you're going to tell. I'm sharing the story of how God has worked in our life. You see, children, he's not just my God, he is your God. There is only one God. And your God did this. Notice how the story or the baton is being passed. This wasn't about me. It wasn't about my generation. This is about what we have done together. The for the Lord, your God... The one that we go to tabernacle and bring sacrifice? Yes. The Lord your God of Jordan before you until ye were passed over as the Lord your God did to this Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, uh, that it is mighty, and that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Do you see all those second person pronouns? It's you, it's you, it's us, it's we, it's you. This isn't my story. This isn't the story of who I am. This is the story of what God has done. So three things that we happen when we testify of Christ, okay? Number one, share your story. Walt has a wonderful story of Jesus Christ in his life, don't you? It's a wonderful story. You should hear it sometime. Brian has a wonderful story of Jesus Christ working in his life. It's a wonderful story. It's an amazing story that God would take a sinner and save him. Isn't that a wonderful story? People need to hear that story. And Walt's sphere of influence, wherever he goes, it's no accident that God put you there. He didn't put me there. He put you there. He didn't put you where Walt's is. He didn't put you where Brian's is. He put you there because people need to hear your story. I like that the kids came up here and they, five things you must know, one thing you must do in order to be saved. And they read the scriptures, right? 
okay? I think it's good to have a plan, and I think it helps to have a plan and to go to Scripture. But if you say, oh, I don't know those things. I never went to sixth grade at Liberty Baptist Academy. That's okay. You still have a story. What's the story of God's work and grace in your life? Share it. People need that story. Doesn't matter where you are. If you're fixing refrigerators this week, share that story. People need your story. Well, my story's not that great. It is. You know why? It's your story. It's a story of a person who's damned and on their way to hell, finding the saving grace of the eternal God of the universe. That's a pretty big deal. It's better than anything you'll see on Disney Plus all week long. It's a great story. So what, is, what, is, what do I take from this? Number one, I'm supposed to share my story. Number two, I'm supposed to shine for the Savior. You ever heard this phrase? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let me say it again. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It means this, that you're supposed to live out what you say you believe. So that on Tuesday afternoon, you're as much a Christian as you are Sunday morning when we're singing, Holy, all, the, all creation cries, Holy, the same mouth that cries out those words in praise and adoration to the Lord are the same lips that should be used to praise God on Tuesday afternoon. They're the same lips, that's the same mouth. Does your life match your story? And if not, correct the process. It's hard, to, it's hard to give praise to God when you're using profanity. It's hard to lift up the wonderful name of Jesus when you're complaining about whatever environment you find yourself in. It's hard to speak the truth of God's love when you are gossiping about another one of his children. Hello. So when we shine for the Savior, we share our story. We bring two things and make them one. It's not just words. It's how I live. And number three, I show his strength. I have to be willing to do something difficult. There's an adventure you're going to go on. We're going to do what? Yeah, but it's piling up. I'm not sure that I... I is that really going to hold? Is that dam going to break? I, I don't see anything there covering it. God's hand is covering it. I'm willing to go on an adventure. When was the last time you did something difficult? When was the last time you were willing to try something new? Oh, God wants us to share our story, to live a life that shines for the Savior. And number three, show forth his strength. You can do it. Oh, I believe it. You know why? Because every week it happens here. Every week. Every week. There are guests that walk into this place. Why? Because somebody at a Walmart or somebody at a um, military base or somebody at their uh, job site came up and like, hey, you want to come, come to church with me? And there's people all over that hear the story of not Matt, but hear the story of Jesus working in a person's life. And when they do that, can I tell you, 100 people trusted Christ as their Savior in this room. In this room, 100 people trusted Christ as their Savior this last year. Why? Because people are sharing their story. And you can't share your story if it doesn't match up with your lifestyle. If you're out robbing banks, hey, let's go rob a bank. Where are we going next, church? It doesn't work. So, so you adopt patterns and behaviors that are consistent with a person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when you do that, it shows the strength of God. 
It shows the mighty strength of God in your life, through our lives, as we look at the memorials, the testimonies, and the scars. So, in phase two, God wants us to erect monuments, memorials, testimonies, to deal with our scars, to allow him to give healing. We must share our story. We must shine for the Savior. And when we do, we show his strength. Father, thank you for your word and the time together today. May we use it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.